Section 9 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Chemistry. Chapter 7. The Phlogistic Period Proper. Part 2. The last of the French chemists of renown to adhere to the phlogistic theory was Pierre-Joseph Macaire, who was born at Paris in 1718. He became a member of the French Academy at the age of 27. Excellent opportunity for work was afforded him by his position as professor at the Jardin des Plantes, and his methods of research were more like those of the present. He determined the solubility of various salts in alcohol, and used this as a means of separating them from one another. Some of his researches were on potassium arseniate and on the coloring matter of Berlin blue, the later he identified with phlogiston, because it was destroyed on heating. He was the author of several textbooks, Elements de Chimie Theorique, 1749, and Elements de Chimie Pratique, 1751, which were highly thought of. But his chief work was his Dictionnaire de Chimie, which appeared first in 1766. This was the first dictionary of chemistry, and it was enlarged three times and translated into english german italian and danish macaire died in seventeen eighty four all his life he remained a phlogistonist and did all that he could to reconcile the continually augmenting dissidences between theory and facts he paid no attention to proportions by weight for it was only in this way that he could maintain the phlogistic hypothesis and even although it was proved to be erroneous and untenable several years before his death, he was still unable to relinquish it. During the 18th century, many distinguished chemists flourished in Great Britain and Sweden, all of whom were adherents to the phlogiston theory of Stahl, and this notwithstanding the fact that it was their investigations, particularly those of Black, Cavendish, Priestley, Scheele, and Bergman, which destroyed the foundations of this theory. Black was born near Bordeaux in 1728 and died in Edinburgh in 1799. His father, a wine merchant, was originally a native of Belfast, being descended from a Scotch family, which had been settled there for some time. Black's original thesis for his degree was entitled Experiments upon Magnesia Alba, quicklime, and other alkaline substances. It was published in 1755, and was reprinted in 1777 and 1782. During the ten years he was professor of medicine at the University of Glasgow, he began and made great progress with his well-known researches on the heat of fusion of ice, and the heat of vaporization of water, or as he termed them, the latent heats of water and of steam. 
the carbonates of the alkaline earths were before black's time regarded as simple substances and it was also supposed that when limestone was burnt fire stuff was taken up and that this went over into potashes or soda when these were causticized by means of lime black on the other hand showed by his investigations that when limestone carbonate of lime or magnesia alba was calcined something escaped which caused a loss of weight and which was identical with van helmont's gas sylvester this gas which he termed fixed air on account of its being held bound by caustic alkalis lime etc he proved to be also present in the mid alkalis and these latter became caustic when deprived of their carbonic acid by lime or magnesia in this research methods are met with which have the imprint of a new departure that black devoted great attention to the proportions by weight of the compounds which entered into the reaction is seen in all his investigations and it is thus easy to understand how he gave up the phlogiston theory and concurred in the doctrine of lavoisier when the correct explanation of combustion and similar processes became possible through the discovery of oxygen cavendish the distinguished co-worker and fellow countryman of black was born at nice in seventeen thirty one two years before priestley but notwithstanding his brilliant circumstances he lived the life of a recluse devoting himself entirely to the furtherance of his beloved science he died in eighteen ten his most important work was the discovery of hydrogen which he called inflammable air this he distinguished from the fixed air of black concluding that this inflammable air was the unaltered phlogiston of the metals he was the first to attempt to determine the specific gravity of the gases he showed that lime carbonate was held in solution in water by dissolved fixed air or carbonic acid he proved in his experiments on air that when hydrogen was burned water was formed thus really determining the composition of water though he did not recognize this fact this led to a sharp controversy as to the phlogistication of the air of the atmosphere and in the hands of the great interpreter of results lavoisier did much to clear up and advance chemical theory the opposition of cavendish to the anti-phlogistic doctrine which he helped to found by his own investigations can only be explained by the fact that he did not take the proportions by weight in the processes of combustion into due consideration the opposition of cavendish to the anti-phlogistic doctrine which he helped to found by his own investigations can only be explained by the fact that he did not take the proportions by weight in the processes of combustion into due consideration but interpreted the latter in a manner which appeared to him sufficiently convincing viz by regarding hydrogen inflammable air as identical with phlogiston in addition to this cavendish showed a wonderful exactitude in his researches upon gases whose specific gravities and volume ratios in chemical reactions he established with what ingenuity he thought out and carried through physical experiments is well illustrated in his work on the specific heats of metal 
and in his attempt the first one which was successful to determine the specific gravity of the earth another instance will be fresh in the memory of most readers viz cavendish's suspicion from the results of his own experiments on the combination of oxygen and nitrogen that there was possibly still another gas present in the air in small quantity argon when this marvelous versatility is considered and the thorough mathematical training that cavendish had gone through is remembered the wonder seems great that he had too little stress upon proportions by weight in chemical reactions joseph priestley was born at fieldheads near leeds in seventeen thirty three and received his education at a public school and at an academy of the dissenters his studies were theological in character and he became a dissenting minister he was not a success in this work becoming extremely unpopular even with his own sect he also conducted a school but was in very needy circumstances he was able however to buy a few books and some instruments including a small air pump an electrical machine etc and was tireless in his work training himself and his scholars in natural science meeting franklin in london he was attracted to the study of electricity and wrote a history of electricity this together with some new experiments on electricity performed by him won some outside reputation and his election as fellow of the royal society he moved to leeds settling near a brewery this gave him opportunity for examining the fixed air discovered by black which had been shown to be one of the products of fermentation he collected this gas from the vats and performed many experiments with it moving away from the brewery he had to prepare the fixed air for himself and this led to his devising the simple and useful pneumatic trough in the heated times of the french revolution his church and dwelling-house were mobbed and burned his library and apparatus destroyed and he himself escaped with difficulty to london and finally took refuge in america where he settled in pennsylvania in this country he pursued his scientific experiments discovering carbon monoxide he died in retirement in the year 1804. One French historian, Henri Gaudier, states in his Essay sur la histoire de la Chimie that Priestley sought an asylum among the Indians, and eventually his entire family died by poison. Priestley was a brilliant investigator, performing many most striking experiments. He was, however, neither thorough nor very careful and was lacking in the scientific acumen needed for the proper interpretation of his results it was upon the gases that his most valuable work was done his invention of the pneumatic trough enabling him not only to discover new gases but to investigate the properties of many already partially known he considered that more is owing to what we call chance than to any proper design or preconceived theory in this business and shows how large a share this element of chance had in his discovery of the new gas oxygen 
His method of experimenting is well illustrated by his own account of his discovery of oxygen, 1774. Having procured a burning lens, I proceeded with great alacrity to examine, by the help of it, what kind of air a great variety of substances would yield, putting them into vessels filled with quicksilver, and kept inverted in a basin of the same. After a variety of other experiments, I endeavored to extract air from mercurius calcinatus per se, and I presently found that, by means of this lens, air was expelled from it very readily. Having got about three or four times as much as the bulk of my materials, I admitted water to it, and found that it was not imbibed by it. But what surprised me more than I can well express was that a candle burned in this air with a remarkable vigorous flame. I was utterly at a loss how to account for it. His experiments showed him that this air had all the properties of common air, only in much greater perfection, and he called it deflogisticated air, regarding it simply as very pure ordinary air. In 1843, Cuvier endeavored to show that the French chemist Bayon proceeded priestly in the discovery of oxygen. Bayon, however, in reducing precipitate per se, noted only the metal and entirely disregarded the escaping gas. He seems to have looked upon all gases as easily changeable, one into the other, at least in the first period of his work. Many experiments were made by him on the action of the various gases known to him upon animals and plants. He would place a mouse in the jar of the gas and notice the effect upon its breathing and general life processes. Plants were grown in similar jars, and the results upon the growth noted. He showed that air which had become noxious through breathing or the burning of a candle could be restored to its original condition by growing a plant in it. This, he said, was due to the impregnation with phlogiston in the first case and its removal in the second. It is very probable, he wrote, that the injury which is continually done to the atmosphere by the respiration of such a number of animals as breathe it, and the putrefaction of such vast masses, both of vegetable and animal substances exposed to it, is in part at least repaired by the vegetable creation. He was unable to explain how this was accomplished. He held that all combustible bodies contained hydrogen. This was, in his view, phlogiston. The metals contained it, and their calces, or oxides, were simply the metals deprived of hydrogen. Thus he showed that when iron oxide was heated in hydrogen gas, the hydrogen was absorbed and metallic iron formed. Rich iron slag or cinder was, in his opinion, iron with some hydrogen retained. To prove this, it was mixed with the carbonates of the alkaline earths, and heated strongly. This gave him an inflammable gas, and all inflammable gases were hydrogen in a more or less impure condition, according to his belief. That water could be impregnated with carbon dioxide was found out by him and its use in disease suggested. Nitrogen dioxide and carbon monoxide were discovered by him, but his greatest discovery was that of oxygen gas. He examined sulfur dioxide, 
hydrochloric acid, and ammonia in the gaseous form. These are only the most important of his discoveries. Inaccurate in his experiments, he was decidedly weak as a theorizer. He was a firm believer in the phlogiston theory, and endeavored to explain the various phenomena noted by him by means of it. The important works of Priestley are the following. Directions for impregnating water with fixed air in order to communicate to the peculiar spirit and virtues of Piermont water, and other mineral waters of a similar nature, 1772. Philosophical Empiricism and Experiments and Observations on Different Kinds of Air, 1774 to 1779. Experiments and observations relating to various branches of natural philosophy with a continuation of the observations on air, 1779 to 1786, and experiments on the generation of air from water, 1793. Cotaneously with the three last mentioned British chemists, two eminent investigators, Torburn Olaf Bergman and Carl Wilhelm Scheel were supporting the phlogistic theory in Sweden, but their brilliant discoveries and observations only served so deeply to undermine it that its dispensation was inevitable. Bergman had acquired such a wide knowledge of the natural science that he taught with eminent success as a professor of physics, mineralogy, and chemistry at Uppsala. He was born in the year 1735, and died at the early age of 49, undoubtedly from the effects of overwork upon a weak constitution. His chief services to chemistry, to which from 1767 he mainly devoted himself, were in the domain of analysis, which he treated systematically and enriched by valuable methods. Bergman's system of wet analysis first took form during an investigation of natural waters, but he later made it embrace the examination of minerals in general, fusing such of these as were insoluble in hydrochloric acid with carbonate of potash. Bergman laid great stress on the analytical value of the blowpipe, between whose inner and outer flame he discriminated, and he endeavored to extend the use of such reagents as soda, borax, and microcosmic salt, substances whose value had been demonstrated by the mineralogist Kronstedt. It is to Bergman's pupil, Gone, that the introduction of cobalt solution as a regent is owed, and the substitution of platinum wire for the gold or silver used hitherto. Up to this time, reduction of the metallic state had been regarded as a necessary precedent to the quantitative estimation of metals in combination. Bergman now introduced the revolutionary method of combining them in stable salts of known composition, and from the weight of these calculating the metallic content. Bergman's analysis were not very accurate, yet they enjoyed the widest popularity. On the other hand, his German contemporary, Carl Friedrich Wenzel, found little consideration, though his method was similar, and his results more fortunate. Meanwhile, the number of chemists who applied themselves to the quantitative side of phenomena was steadily increasing, an indication of the straits to which the phlogiston theory had been reduced. Yet at this eleventh hour, 
Bergman set to work to determine the relative quantities of phlogiston in metals. Believing that metals could only dissolve after conversion into their calces, he ascertained those weights of various metals which precipitated the same weight of some other in solution surrendering their phlogiston to its calx these weights to his mind contain the same quantity of phlogiston he knew well how to render his chemical experiences useful for the definition and classification of minerals mineralogical chemistry and chemical geology the current views upon chemical affinity gain through him precision and clearness the scientific character of chemistry was materially raised by such observations, and a general survey of chemical processes rendered much easier. His papers appeared originally in the Memoirs of the Academy of Stockholm and Uppsala. Later on, they were collected together and published in six volumes in 1779 to 1790 under the title Opuscula Physica Echemica. This Latin edition was translated into English in 1784 to 1791. Carl Wilhelm Scheele was born in 1742 in Stralsund, the capital of Swedish Pomerania, where his father was a merchant and a burgess. He was the seventh of eleven children. After receiving his education, partly in a private school, partly in the public school, gymnasium, at Stralsund, he was apprenticed at the age of fourteen to the apothecary Bouch in Gothenburg. In those days an apothecary was in large measure a manufacturer, as well as a retailer of drugs. He had to prepare his medicines in a pure state, from very impure materials, as well as to mix them in order to carry out prescriptions, and indeed he himself often, as sometimes happens still, ventured to prescribe in mild cases shiel's master taught him such methods and in addition instructed him in the use of chemical symbols in vogue at that date these he afterward freely employed in his manuscripts and this renders them exceedingly difficult to decipher restricted almost entirely to several old textbooks together with the fairly good chemical inventory of bach's shop shiel by constant experimenting acquired such a knowledge of things chemical that by the time he went to malmo in 1765 he had gained more experience than the majority of the chemists of the time although he was yet only an apprentice at malmo and also in stockholm 1768 to 1770 and upsala 1770 to 1775 he increased his knowledge of the most important branches of chemistry without, however, becoming so well known at the time as he deserved. It was only when, as stated by Nordenskjold, through Gaon, he came into close relation with Bergman, a connection which began in a misunderstanding and coolness, but which developed into a friendship, that Scheele continued to gain steadily in reputation. After taking over the pharmacy at Koping in 1775, he was able to devote himself more closely to scientific work with still more brilliant results the records of his researches followed one another rapidly in the transactions of the stockholm academy into which he had been received as studiosus pharmacie in seventeen seventy five in seventeen seventy seven he published the results of his investigation on air oxygen 
combustion and respiration at Uppsala and Leipzig in a volume entitled Chemische Abhandlung von der Luft und dem Feuer, a chemical essay on air and fire. After his early death at barely forty-four years of age, his collected works were published in two volumes in German by S. F. Hermstadt, Berlin, 1793, under the title Samtlich Physik und Chemische Werk. The Latin edition by Schaefer had appeared four years previous. Although the results of his principal investigations will be discussed further on, it is important to mention here that to Scheele is due the first knowledge of chlorine and of the individuality of manganese and berita. He was an independent discoverer of oxygen, ammonia, and hydrochloric acid gas. He discovered also hydrofluoric, nitrosulfonic, molybdic, tungstic, and arsenic acids among the inorganic acids and oxalic, citric, tartaric, malic, and mucic among the organic acids. He isolated glycerin and milk sugar, determined the nature of microcosmic salt, borax, and Prussian blue, and prepared hydrocyanic acid. He demonstrated that plumbago is nothing but carbon associated with more or less iron, and that the black powder left on solution of cast iron in mineral acids is essentially the same substance. He ascertained the chemical nature of sulfuretted hydrogen, discovered arsenuretted hydrogen, and the green arsenical pigment which is associated with his name. He found new processes for preparing gallic acid, either powder of algaroth, phosphorus, columel, and magnesia alba, his services to quantitative chemistry included the discovery of ferrous ammonium sulfate and of the methods still in use for the analytical separation of iron and manganese and for the decomposition of mineral silicates by fusion with alkaline carbonates. The greatest work of the life of Scheele, however, was his memoir on air and fire, which appeared in 1777 and which, on account of its relations to the chemical theory of that time, attracted universal attention, and was translated into English, French, and German. The chief part of the experimental material for this work, as is proved by the correspondence and laboratory journals published in 1892 by Nordenskold, was collected partly in Malmo and Stockholm, that is, before the autumn of 1770, and partly during the earlier portion of his stay in Uppsala, that is, prior to 1773. These dates are important in view of Scheele's relations as a discoverer to Priestley and Lavoisier. A number of circumstances, and more especially the dilatoriness of the publisher Swideris, retarded the appearance of the book. From the letters to Gone, it appears that the manuscript was sent to the printer toward the close of 1775, but nearly two years elapsed before the work was made public. Scheele, in several of his letters, laments over the delay. In August 1776, he wrote to Bergman, I have thought for some time back, and I am now more than ever convinced, that the greater number of my laborious experiments on fire will be repeated possibly in somewhat different manner by others and that their work will be published sooner than my own which is concerned also with air 
it will then be said that my experiments are taken it may be in a slightly altered form from their writings i have to thank swideris for all this however no imputation of plagiarism was ever brought against scheele the whole conduct of his life was proof indeed against even a suspicion of unfair dealing he was exceedingly unselfish and voracious to quote thorpe with all priestley's candour and sense of rectitude he had cavendish's indifference to fame and his contempt for notoriety it can be hardly doubted however that had scheele's work appeared in seventeen seventy five he himself would have occupied a still higher position in the estimation of his contemporaries and that it would not have been left to posterity to assign him his true place in the history of scientific discovery he further expresses the following appreciation it seems impossible to read this or indeed any other of scheele's memoirs without being impressed by his extraordinary insight which at times amounted almost to divination and by the way in which he instinctively seizes on what is essential and steers his way among the rocks and shoals of contradictory and conflicting observations it is perhaps idle to speculate on the causes which prevented scheele from recognizing the full significance of his work it may be that from the lack of mathematical training the quantitative aspects of chemistry had few attractions for him but it is equally probable that the peculiar character of his inquiries may have been determined by the circumstances of his position by his poverty and by the want of the refined and costly apparatus needed for quantitative research but surmises as scheele himself said cannot determine anything with certainty it must be admitted that he was wanting in the faculty of coordination grasp of principle and power of generalization that so strikingly characterize lavoisier and his greatest investigation while it testifies to his genius as an experimentalist reveals no less clearly his weakness as a theorist but when every legitimate deduction has been made scheele's work with all its shortcomings and limitations stamps him as the greatest chemical discoverer of his age his story constitutes indeed one of the most striking examples of what may be achieved by the diligent cultivation of a single natural gift end of section nine recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com